Welcome everybody to the Six and Friends podcast. This is your host CJ the Six, and today I got Selena as a guest, and we want to talk about America's fucked up educational system. Emphasis on the fucked up. Miss Selena, when did you know you wanted to be an educator? It was dropped on me, to be completely honest. I told myself I was never going to be an educator, and the opportunity presented itself, and I wanted a change of pace, so I tried it, and I fell in love with it, to be honest. It's a great profession. It's very rewarding. It makes me hop out of bed every day without having to think about it, and it's it's fun. It's hard. It is extremely hard, but it's fun. I wish I loved my job as much as you do, or as much as you love yours. I feel very lucky to love my job the way that I do. Uh-huh. Even when I hate it. And you're also like a physical trainer? I'm an athletic trainer athletic as well. Athletic trainer, that one. Okay, yes. Cool. Yeah. So that's a fun part of my job as well. But uh, teaching and athletic training together create quite the connection to students and allow me to reach them in a completely different way than most other educators. So I value both sides of my career. I studied athletic training in college, so that was a big part of my interest and my education and what I wanted to do. And once I got that opportunity and I noticed I wasn't really feeling the medical side of full-time employment, I tried the educational side of full-time employment and it's working out. So how long have you been in this, this educational field? I have been in the education system for four years. I completed my professional certification in the third year of my employment. Snaps, snaps. Did it. I passed my test. Turn up. I'm smart. uh, (laughs) (laughs) How how long does it normally take for that? It depends on your path. So some educators get into the field because they got their bachelor's degree in education. And with that, they can begin working because they've already passed the exams and met the certification requirements. Other people uh, begin education as a second career path. And those people are required to complete a three-year certification program in Florida. So with that program, they have to complete three exams and a curriculum based off of the district, or they can choose to go back to school and meet the requirements that way. So for most people, I think it takes about three years in the state of Florida to be specific. Oh, okay. That sounds like too much. I like getting my bachelor's degree and going to work. Yes. But anywho. It was a lot of work to do that. How diverse is the school you work at? In terms of the student population or the educator population? Let's do both. My student population, and I don't want to say this incorrectly, but my school is a little bit above 90% low income, like free and reduced lunch is usually the demographic that they use to measure our school. Mm -hmm. So we have a significant percentage of low income students and our students are mostly black, Hispanic, some white people mixed in (laughs) and uh, very little Asians or Indians, very little Arabs. Does that answer your question? Yes. And then our educator pool, we are slowly diversifying, I've noticed, (laughs) but it's a very slow process. A majority of our educators at our school are white, and then we have the minority, which is black and Hispanic. Do you think that having mostly white teachers with mostly minority students affects how the students like learn and how they act? Absolutely. I feel a lot of students do check out when they see someone they feel that they cannot relate to. So if they have an educator who's force feeding them, even in discipline, in curriculum, in life, 
they check them out. They tune them out immediately because they feel this educator has no connection to their actual experiences. When you see a teacher who can speak the language that the students speak, understand the music that the students listen to, value the sports that the students value, the students develop a connection and kids ultimately learn from people that they feel care about them. So a student who feels like a teacher doesn't care about the things they care about will disconnect from that teacher. And when teachers take the time to make connections like that, regardless of race, sometimes a a teacher of a different race can make a connection with students of a different race. But it's a matter of making the connections and students, I think, make those connections easier when they're from the same background. I, I feel like I can agree with that, especially being a coach for one of the local high schools. It's funny, though, because like one of the first day, one of the girls. So I'm the long and triple jump coach. And first day out there, one of the girls. I'm like, I have a workout that I want the jumpers to do. And I tell them to do like 15 squat jumps or something like that. So one of the girls comes up to me and she's like, oh, you want me to do 10 squat jumps? I'm like, oh, you want to do 20? She's like, I think I, I think 15 works. I think 15 works. And it's funny because like <laughs> the the other coach who happens to be a white guy, Whenever she does that with him, he lets her get off with, like, the easier stuff. And even now, this was two years ago, and I'm still training her now. Like, her and the other guy that I both trained, like, my three years of being there, have seen the results. Actually, this is getting all the way off topic. <laughs> it's okay, but in a, in a manner, that's education. So you making that connection and being able to humor their sarcasm is important. Because a lot of teachers who will see a student's sarcasm will assume this student is disrespectful, is condescending, you know. Mm-hmm. But us, on the other hand, being young and being able to relate to that, I'm, I'm going to match your humor. And when I have time, you know, that humor is appreciated, builds connections. In some other cases where a teacher doesn't make that connection and deci- decides to dismiss that student or, like you said, give them the easier route, they end up taking advantage so who runs the classroom in that case? You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. I've seen, I've definitely seen, especially like coming up in my high school, it happens to most of substitute teachers and there's a couple of teachers, but like you have like two or three and it's usually at least one of the class clowns who just basically take over the classroom and the the kids are running the class now. You, you have to establish your authority, man. I tell them, don't test my gangster. Do and you, they immediately, oh, she's serious. Yes. Do you actually say those are the actual words you say? My exact words. And <laughs> the first time they hear it, they're like, oh. And then the second time they hear it, they're like, come on, Miss. Come on, Miss Selena. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've had to get my kids in check a couple times. And I think they respect me for the most part, which is good. Do you think that some of the teachers feel like the kids are condescending towards them? Yes, absolutely. So my thing is, how (laughs) because for condescending is talking down to someone i am an adult and a child is talking to me at no point do i feel like a child can talk down to me like no matter like they can be the most brilliant child ever or know anything but i could and not to say not to say it in a bad way it's just like as a child you still have a lot of learning to do and a lot of growing so nothing that you can say to me will feel like you're talking down to me so how do you how does somebody feel like a child is being condescending to them some educators i want to say will try to implement rules and things like that and students who feel that they are above the rules and they can talk down to a teacher maybe from privilege maybe from lack of respect for the teacher from whatever you know some students feel like whatever they're going through is more important than whatever the teacher has to teach 
Okay. So they'll behave in a way that makes the teacher feel like, you know, who do you think you are to come in my classroom and make my classroom anything but a learning environment? So a kid's coming in, maybe condescending wasn't the best word. Uh, just a lack of respect. Out of a lack of respect would be a gotcha. better word than condescending. Because okay. I completely agree with you. There's no kid who's going to come <laughs> into my classroom and make me feel smaller than them. But there are kids that I've seen go into classrooms and make their their agenda more important than a classroom's agenda. And that's obviously unacceptable. So do you have any experiences with a kid trying to do that? Like... Of course, as a new educator, there was always times where students were trying to get away with whatever they could get away with. And as a new educator, I didn't know everything. So there were times where, yes, I got gypped <laughs> and I got had finessed. to learn and I had to be like, OK, I got you later, though. Don't worry about that. Uh, you got this one. But next time I'm going to come back for you. So as a new educator, there's a lot of things that you need to learn and you get better as the years go by. So. Do you have a funny story of you being finessed? Let's come back to that one. Do you have any stories on how you finessed the children? Mm, you see, these are stories I have to think about. Gosh. Um, stories where I finessed kids. I don't know. I like to think that my classroom has a symbiotic relationship. All right. Uh -huh. We like to believe that I sit in my classroom and I create an environment where students can be successful and students respect me enough to create that. So most of my stories, they revolve around my disciplinary strategies. So for me, I'm, I'm like so patient with kids. I realize that I have a ridiculous amount of patience. It may be too much. So times where I'm in my classroom and I look at kids and I see them doing things they're not supposed to be doing, I typically address them one-on-one -on -one in a kind of quiet way. I'm not the type to embarrass students. My classroom... Maybe a finesse would be me walking up to a student and letting them have it, but nobody else needs to know about that. It's between me and a student. Mm -hmm. It's not for the entire class to laugh at, to make a spectacle of them, despite whatever the child thinks they're doing to me. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, that makes sense. It's Honestly, from my point of view, I feel like, especially with kids, because kids make fun of everything. Right? Exactly. That works twofold in, in my mind because... One, you take them away from that, that spotlight so the kids really can't make fun of them about getting in trouble. And then you basically show them, like, respect. Like, hey, look, this is what you did in my class. This is why I didn't like it. You know, this is what I want you to do in the future. Mm -hmm. And so now, like, they understand you're being serious. You're not trying to demean them in any way, but you just want them to understand what they did was unacceptable. Mm -hmm. and, they won't, and you just want them to understand, you know, what was happening exactly and that's my point when i'm doing it the way that i do it because i feel like if i can build a relationship with a troubled student i can eventually help that student pass my class and that's always our goal as educators is to get students to understand a curriculum and commit themselves enough to knowledge to sit and learn and finish the course and with some students okay here's a story i had this kid <laughs> in my class this is actually going on this year and this child told me that i was rude oh yeah he said that he didn't like me because i looked at him certain ways or talked to him certain ways that he felt were rude so this kid snapped at me during class one day because i called another student a crabby patty this kid was refusing to do any work. He seemed to be in a bad mood and it had been for a few days. So the second day I decided to walk up to this kid and say, hey, man, I noticed you're in a bad mood. Why, why have you been a, being a Krabby Patty? And the, the whole table looked at me I'm like, 
did she just say Krabby Patty? Like, what adult says that? And I'm like, yeah, Krabby Patty. And they were like, what do you mean by that? And I said, have you ever watched SpongeBob? Like, what kind of childhood have you had? <laughs> and the kids like looked at me and the kid got offended. He was like, who are you talking to? And that's when I realized things were escalating. And so I decided to finish my conversation with the, the kid that I was addressing in the first place, <laughs> that it was actually <laughs> our conversation. And then I decided to address the other kid. So I'm addressing the other kid and he tells me, you know, you should never talk to a kid like that. You should never tell a kid that, oh, what kind of childhood have you had? So the finesse game begins. I tell the <laughs> child, okay, well, let's talk about this. Well, why do you think that I was being rude to you? He's like, you shouldn't ask kids that. And he, and I, he goes on and I'm listening. I'm being very patient. I'm practicing a lot of patience with this child. <laughs> and I know. And he's just coming into me trying to tell me, oh, that's so disrespectful. You shouldn't say that to kids. And so I took a minute to listen because I, I learned that people do not listen until they feel they've been listened to. Mm -hmm. So I let him finish his thought completely. And then I explained to him how the world works. I, <laughs> I politely apologized. I went ahead and did that. I played the game. That's just how I finesse kids. You may ag agree or disagree. I apologized to the child for asking him what kind of a childhood he had. After that, I explained to him how the world works. You're in a school, in a school where teachers are busy. You are going to be constantly overlooked because of your attitude. So if your attitude is consistently with bad bad body language or you know not doing your work constantly trying to be the class clown constantly trying to ask questions back you're going to be that student that a teacher doesn't want to help you're going to be that student that a teacher doesn't want to approach or work with or help at all and if you decide to change your attitude you'll do better this same student was failing my class before i had this conversation with him so I asked him, you know, why haven't you been turning in any assignments? He's like, I haven't been doing them because I felt like you were rude and I didn't want to do your work. And the odd thing is, though, this child was doing the work the entire time. He just wasn't turning it in. The reason this kid wasn't turning it in, because he didn't like me and he didn't want to ask me how to submit it. So I'm putting the pieces together and I'm like, all of this is ridiculous. Like as an educator, this isn't something that I'm supposed to overcome. This is supposed to be like inherent. You want to pass. <laughs> Where is the, 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 the love for passing? And I sat with him and I told him, this is something that's going to cause you to fail in life if you allow these kinds of things to affect you in every single class. And we went through his entire schedule and it's, it appeared he only had one other class. And I think the same issue was happening. He didn't like that teacher. So we talked about it and I made sure he understood that he needs to work on his body language, the way that he communicates with teachers, even when he's upset. And I made sure that he knew how to turn in his assignment. And I connected it to sports because the kid wants to play sports, but he's ineligible because of his GPA. Mm. So all of this came full circle. And I had a moment where I could connect with this kid who clearly saw the world through some weird lenses and I felt like my patience really helped me break through break break through to him despite the fact that I completely disagreed with him and I wanted to backhand him so <laughs> I held it together and I got through that you could just use the paddle but anywho <laughs> do you think for some of the kids some of their problems go deeper than just like what they experienced at school absolutely I feel a lot of kids I see this all the time on on social media this meme it says that kids who are loved come to school to learn Kids who are not loved come to school to be loved. There's a there's a certain hierarchy of needs, and I teach this to my students too because I'm blessed enough to teach elective courses where I can kind of vary my curriculum to be whatever I want it to be. 
So on a hierarchy of needs, there's like on the bottom base of the triangle is food, shelter, being able to take a shit, you know, simple (laughs) things like you have to be able to do stuff. And when those things are met, you can graduate to the next level. And once you get to that next level, it's consistency of those things. So you have a consistent place to go home to. You have a consistent place to eat. You have a consistent source of shelter. After that, you finally begin to accept yourself and develop your personality, your self-esteem, relationships with others, those kinds of things. And it continues to go up before you can reach actual self-actualization, where you're able to understand other people's perspectives and cultures and different things, where some people never reach that point. So I realize that with every student that walks in, there are some students who don't come here because they want to learn. They come here because there's food here. They come here because they have people here that they can talk to. They come here because we have a shelter. You know, you're, you're covered. You're not in the rain. And it's the reality for a number of students. So there's no way that I'm supposed to expect that student to come in and be ready to learn about health insurance or bodily injuries or anything related to college moving on to that next step because they can't see that far so you have to take that into consideration every time you deal with the kid when you're talking to them you have no idea what they're going through and if they're going through something where they have no shelter no food it makes sense that they didn't come here to learn i'm just gonna assume you know the first time you meet a kid they don't straight up tell you oh i don't have anywhere to live tonight so i'm just here so you know blah 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 <laughs> when you do find a kid in that situation what do you do as an educator and how much of it are you, quote unquote, supposed to do? Absolutely. So basically, when I find out that a student is in need of exceptional services, I know of a program at our school. It's called Students in Transition. Those are for students who don't have a stable home or stable resources. And the district helps those students a lot. They give them financial support in terms of if we're going on a field trip and you can't afford it, the district is going to pay for it. If you need additional services in terms of transportation the district helps with that if you need food we have a food pantry at our school and you can get food from them or you can get food from the student in transition program so this program exists and when i know a student needs it i refer them to their guidance counselor to get connected to those resources in addition to that i changed up my curriculum and i made sure to add this blue sheet this blue sheet is basically 211 which is a phone number of community resources and it's specific to each community like if you call 211 from any community it has resources specific to you where you're from so I made the students aware of that and my goal in teaching that was first of all to open a conversation for students who need those services and second of all to make more students aware that these services exist so now it's not just maybe you need it maybe your friend needs it maybe your uncle needs it maybe your aunt needs it and I feel like knowledge is power. So if you know this exists, now you can take this paper and share it with others or this phone number. It's three simple numbers, 211. Hey, you lit out here. I'm trying. I'm trying to do something. You have the whole gener- like the, the next generation of youth in your hands. And you have a lot of responsibility that you, that you kind of owe to them just being with them, what, eight, nine hours a day, five days a week. And one thing that does bother me about teachers in america y'all don't get paid enough for the shit y'all go through and it's so true and it's bad that like 80 90 percent of the teachers i know are very heavy drinkers mm-hmm. or very heavy smokers mm-hmm. so it's like and one one of my friends told me well my lb he was just like sometimes you just need to drink every day just to calm your nerves from like whatever you went through that day absolutely 
But if I had my way, you know what I'm saying, teacher get paid like eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year, you know what I'm saying, your first year. It would give a big incentive to teachers to work harder and I'm not that we don't work hard enough as it is, but it, it will make you it will give you peace of mind. Like the way that I see teacher salaries, you should be able to at least afford to live in the same community that you teach in. So if you're thinking about how you're gonna pay your bills, what service can you give to the kids that you're teaching? And when te- when kids look at teachers, they constantly say that, oh, you don't even get paid that much. Ooh. How can you listen mm. to that out of a student's mouth, you know, and then still want to teach them? Like, that's not fun. That's not a fun experience to go through and teach. And there I have students who want to become teachers and they say, I won't do it because you don't get paid enough. And the reality of the matter is teachers should be able, like you said, we have so many kids in our hands, so much responsibility to our community we should be held and revered as those kinds of people that, that have that kind of responsibility. So number one, be able to live in your own community easily. I shouldn't have to work another job. I shouldn't have to hold another position at the school or have any sponsorships or anything like that to be able to do that. That's just the biggest thing. And I really hate that because like one of the coaches, he has a second job. So practice ends at 515. Sometimes his shift starts at like five. So he has to leave like 430, 445 to get to work. I completely understand. But like in my mind, like at you as a teacher and as a coach, why do you need to have a second job just to make ends meet? Like it's a disservice <laughs> to the community, because if you think about that, if he's going from school from eight to four and coaching and then he leaves to go work his other job until what, 11 p.m. to wake up and then go and teach again. What quality of teaching do you think he's giving? He's exhausted. Yeah. Like the reality of the matter is you're exhausting educators so that they can make a simple living. I don't know. I don't know how many educators you see that live in a mansion that are out here trying to live some extravagant lifestyle. I don't know one. I know like uh, about zero. Yeah, exactly. So if we're just trying to do the bare minimum out here and give back to the community, you can tell we do it from the goodness in our heart. So pay us, you know, (laughs) at least give us the incentive to stick around because a lot of teachers leave the profession simply because they can't afford to continue living in that situation. In the words of the great Kendrick Lamar, that's boo-boo. <laughs> and you'll see that too. Like teachers will give their last to a student as well. Like you asked me what I've, what have I done for students that I knew that were homeless or didn't have the support at home? If you knew how many rides home I gave or extra conversations or food out of my own lunchbox that I give to these students, it's ridiculous how much money I've spent on the students. Yeah, they you kind of like pick them, up, pick them up as your kids. They are. Yeah. You think of them that way and they're not. That's the hard thing, too, because as an educator, you think that you have to be a, you have to almost be like a parent to teach them how they're supposed to behave and how they're supposed to act in civilized society. And you're trying to teach them personal skills. But you're an educator. There's like a curriculum you're supposed to focus on. So some of the parents like some of the need falls back onto the parents, you know, mm-hmm. like we shouldn't do things that it should be done at home. The kids should come to school prepared. But the reality of the matter is they don't. They don't come with pencils. They don't come with pens. They'll come with Jordans, but they won't come with a loose leaf piece of paper to do their bell work on. You know, it's it's frustrating. It really can be very frustrating to deal with as an educator. On a side note, and understand kids come from different backgrounds. Like one of the girls I'm supposed to be coaching this year, I didn't get to coach her last year because she now has a job after school. And so she has a job this year. So I don't get to coach her because she's at work. I'm like, as a kid, you shouldn't have to work. But I understand, like, different, you know, different things that are going on in your family that could necessitate that. 
And I just wish there was better ways for kids to be able to, you know, or just the families to make ends meet without the kids having to, like, you know, have a job. Because when you have a job as, like, high schooler, you miss out on so much life. I completely agree. It's amazing what these kids are able to balance and what they're able to take responsibility for in their families. These are things that I didn't grow up having to do. So when I see my kids, sometimes I'm amazed, first of all, at what they're able to accomplish. And then second of all, I get discouraged. Like, I wish you didn't have to, like you just said, go get a job or find a ride to school. I've had students that didn't come to school for a week because their parents' car broke down. And now they're a week behind in all of their subjects. And that's exhausting. Like, that's really sad as an educator to see a student with a lot of potential who never gets to your class because they don't have a ride. And that's what we what we see in generational poverty. These kids that come from poverty and they struggle to do basic things like come to school, be prepared to learn at school and grow. They end up in that cycle they end up living in poverty because they can't finish their education because they don't want to continue their education because they have bad influences around them. It all cycles and creates this never-ending problem in these low-income communities which is exhausting and 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 devastating to watch all the time what do you think is a good way to kind of break that that generational poverty curse i may be naive but i just i believe education is the answer so when i go to school I give students a number of options. I don't give them the cookie cutter. We have to go to college, doctor, lawyer, big, you know, big income, $100,000 income. I teach the kids that there are a million different options and they go from the line worker all the way up to the CEO and to big jobs like that. So I teach my kids about technical schools. I teach them about the industry certifications that our school offers. I teach them about internships, about about climbing up slow. And I remind them that there is no deadline in life. You do not have to make it. You do not have to graduate college by 21. And our, our staff does the same thing. We have multiple people in our staff that took plenty of time to get their bachelor's degree, seven years, 12 years to get a bachelor's degree. And, you know, a lot of people will look at them and shake their head and say, you know what, shame on you. You should have did it quicker or made better decisions. But in all reality, you don't know what somebody else is going through. So who are you to tell them what timeline they need? And I teach the kids that. It doesn't matter how long it takes you. Take your time, do one thing at a time, evaluate every single option and choose what works for you the best. And that's my that's what I think is the answer to fixing this problem, making kids aware that resources exist, whether it's 211, whether it's a different job path that eventually leads to that huge job or just self-confidence and knowing that you can get out of it and awareness of the obstacles too. Oh, I had a great conversation in my class. <laughs> oh my God, a great conversation. I am just so impressed with some of the students that I have this year because they just, they make me believe in the next generation. Oh. So this class, we were talking about income gaps. And in the income gaps, we were talking about how the, the people who work under a CEO make maybe one to the 333% that the CEO makes in a day. So like, for example, what a line worker makes in a day, the CEO makes... Or what they make in a year. Yeah, exactly. Boom. So we were talking about that. And then we were talking about how um, generational wealth is accrued. So people who are working in these low income jobs, they're not seeing raise increases because the CEO is eating, eating it all up. And then in addition to that, there are ways that we've held people back from gaining wealth. 
So we talked about redlining. Most of my students are black. So I told them in back in the day when black Americans were trying to buy homes, they couldn't get a mortgage in a suburban neighborhood. They were refused mortgages. They were not allowed to accumulate property. So what do you think that does to people who are trying to generate wealth? That's the best way to generate wealth is to own property. So if you can't buy property and you can't go to school, you're pushed into a school system that is low income for whatever reason, it makes it harder for you to come out of that situation. So not only are there the obstacles of, first of all, can you come here? Can you do this? Can you do that? You're facing the obstacles that were given to your ancestors from before. Whereas other other races, other people are able to buy their property and accumulate the wealth and pass it on to their kids. You're facing twice as many obstacles. And the kids ate that up and they were ready. They discussed so many other things that came up in their life as obstacles to generating wealth or generating success in their own in their own vision. It's funny that you had like such a deep conversation with with high schoolers because one and it's probably because they're old farts. But I know people (laughs) who like wouldn't like you, you try to bring up redlining or like how generational poverty and or generational wealth are generational curses per se and like some older people are like no that's not a thing just work hard and you can get out of it and it's like it's, it's more than that and on like another note it's crazy because i think people underestimate how much high school kids can understand and how much they can actually gra- grasp to because i know some people if you were to tell them like you know i want to talk about generational poverty and redlining to some high school students it's like oh they wouldn't get that they wouldn't understand that i think that's just a hindrance on them because being a tutor for four and a half years i never assume what anybody can or can't learn my first step is to talk about it kind of i break it down to its basics and once i see you picking out the basics i get more and more advanced so i'm gonna start slow and then go fast absolutely and that's true of anybody so you could explain you explain stuff to a 10 year old you know it's great that you you talk to them to the kids about that i'm I'm lucky (laughs) i'm lucky that i can because it's part of my curriculum in certain programs so Uh, I work with a program called AVID, and it's called Advancement Via Individual Determination. And basically, in the curriculum, it states ways that you can make kids aware of the opportunities available to them, whether it's college, technical school. We really focus on continuing our education, though, so we don't want students to finish at high school. And we open up doors by making kids go on college field trips, making sure that they know what options, how to look at colleges, how to look at schools, and try to pick up what they want to get out of it. So it's just in our curriculum and I take it and I spin it a little bit more to give the kids more details that are relevant to our population. So it's fun. I, mm. I like it. It's better than teaching algebra. <laughs> oh no, that, that sounds great. For most people when they go to school, they learn a bunch of stuff they never use again. Like aside from my algebra trig, my math and science classes minus biology because mm-hmm. I ain't learned shit in biology. But aside from <laughs> those subset of classes electives are a chance to explore your interests for sure and i noticed another thing that kids really like is when i tell them my goal today for example i was teaching my health class about insurance and so i said my goal today is for you guys to be able to understand how to choose which insurance plan is best for your family is your family sickly are you going to need a low deductible is your family healthy and you don't care if your deductible is crazy and what kind of premiums do you want how much do you want to pay a month and we were going into it and i just explained my goal of their understanding and they loved it they just seemed to really understand my assignment better 
because I explained to them what I what I was trying to see them produce. Does that make sense? No, no, that makes 100% sense. So I was trying to make sure that they knew you this te- is relevant. <laughs> you teaching kids stuff that like our age group doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's That was the purpose behind my curriculum. I'm looking at it, I'm like, you know what? I, I needed a few tutorials on this subject. I'm going to go ahead and give it to them now. And you can see some of them looking like this doesn't apply to me. I'm not really interested. And then others of them are like, okay, wait, I see how this is going to be important in the future. Kids come to me all the time. Why do we always learn stuff that's irrelevant? We're not going to use it in the future. I want to know about taxes and mortgages and everything. And then the mortgage question comes up in Algebra 2 and they're looking like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. this is hard. I'm like, this is the reality. You got to learn it. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Earlier you said that the AVID program looks at kids continuing their education. And you said that, uh, you know, they focus on technical schools, colleges, all that good stuff. Which I'm glad somebody actually says technical school because everybody's like, no, go to a four-year school, get a four-year degree, like, and that's how you end up in crippling debt. <laughs> Fun fact: uh, our generation just hit a trillion dollars in student loan debt. That's so disgusting. <laughs> round of applause oh, for us. <laughs> that is disgusting. There was a comparison. Basically, the the comparison was saying that for a baby boomer or Gen Xer, you can Google and figure it out. Uh, the cost of them going to a four-year institution was like three thousand dollars but over the four years over the four years what (laughs) but for us it ranges to like thirty six thousand. yeah and a lot of people ask like what the fuck happened but rising cost in tuition rising cost in books and then you have like student loan interest on top of that so like since the tuition actually like, I don't even know if the interest rate itself actually increased, mm-hmm. but since the amount increased drastically, even if the They're interest rate stayed the same. Interest. Yeah. I teach that interest. to my students, too. I tell them because they always ask me, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to pay for this? And I tell them about the FAFSA federal application for student aid. I tell them about scholarships and I make them research them and all of that fun stuff. And I tell them that about income because a lot of them will say, oh, teachers don't make anything. And I'm like, yeah, one income to be raising an entire family is difficult. If you're single and you have kids, your income is it may be a good number. But because you're doing your family by yourself, you're a single parent, your income doesn't stretch as much. So you have to be cognizant of the debt that you accumulate trying to achieve wealth. And I taught them that as well because they want to buy crazy cars. They want to mm-hmm. buy all of this stuff. And I say, you know what? Interest and all of these debts that you're putting on your head before you can even swim. That's not fun. Don't do not do that to yourself because your wealth isn't going to go anywhere if you do that. Gotcha. So back to the question that I want to go too far. I went <laughs> before I made a complete left turn on Albuquerque. <laughs> do you teach the kids or mention to kids that another path they could take is just starting their own business and whatever. Absolutely. And that's a big one that the kids love. I actually heard a kid tell me his goal in life is to generate enough passive income that he doesn't have to work at all. This came out of this child's mouth and I was like, this is impressive. This is impressive. I was very proud of them. So it comes up a lot. They want to be entrepreneurs. They want to do their own business. Some of them want to skip school altogether and just go straight into owning their own business. And I tell them, you can. It is Mm -hmm. absolutely doable. But there are certain politics and things that you're going to make some mistakes before you can really build that business you want. So I just try to teach them that if you're not going to go to school, you have to be dedicated enough to teach yourself. And you're going to have to be dedicated enough to be observant, 
learn the trade and learn things on your own before you're going to go ahead and do everything you think you're able to do before without school. In a way, I encourage it, but I always encourage furthering your education because learning is power. Knowledge is power. So that it always comes back to it, whether you're doing it by yourself or whether you're going to a school. You're not going to do anything if you don't know anything. I will say this much. If you get a chance to tell one of the kids that wants to be an entrepreneur that wants to skip school, one of the biggest things that they can get from going to college is networking. And you can't put a price on networking. Absolutely. So if anything, it's like, well, just go to school and network Mm because that you never know who you might meet and who you might need. I completely agree with you. And I take that to their level where I do. I do resumes with a lot of my students. They ask me about how to write them. And I made my freshmen do it because I'm trying to teach them how they can take high school and make it reflect a skill set that they can use to get a job. So if all of the programs at our school, I make sure they pick up, hey, this has this engineering degree. They have solid work certification, Autodesk Inventor certifications. They do VEX robotics tournaments. And I tell them all of these things result in skills that you can use in a career. So when you're networking and you're trying to meet these teachers and you're making relationships with teachers, do not burn a bridge. Because if you ever leave this place and you tell someone, yeah, I was an avid student at this school, they know who I am, guess who they're going to call? So mm. I'm not going to forget you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't yes. don't burn bridges with anyone in life. And I try to teach them that from a very young age because they think they can do whatever they want based off of their emotions or if they're having a bad day or whatever. And I try to teach them connections are invaluable. People never forget how you made them feel. So treat people Slick. well also people remember the bad way more than they remember the good it's so true it's so. i wish it wasn't because i do the same thing in my classroom i'll have a class of 30 kids or 26 kids and one of them isn't paying attention while the rest of the 25 are paying attention i'm only focused on the one kid who's not doing what they're supposed to be doing and it sucks it's a survival thing um is is really really primitive because the things that make you feel good, of course, make you feel good. But the things that hurt you, not saying that they'll kill you, quote unquote, but they teach you life lessons. That too. But like pain is our brains are more afraid of pain than we like pleasure. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Like it's actually scientifically proven. I like those biological connections. <laughs> I like that kind of stuff. I'm a nerd. Yeah. So that's all of that. One of the things. That kind of stick that kind of stands out to me, especially being a coach, you know, and I'm around the kids all the time. I try to be cognizant of what I do, what I say, because kids pick up on everything. Like even when you think they're not paying attention, they watching everything you do. It is amazing what they pay attention to. <laughs> yes. And one of the things I've I've had there's been, you know, and generally at practice we're we're working about we're worried about practice, you know what I'm saying, you know, getting your form right, doing the workouts, all that good stuff. I never really have time to sit and talk with the kids. But I have had one kid, you know, ask me, you know, where I went to school and little stuff like that. And it got me thinking because we have a meet Thursday. I'm considering after the meet just getting all the jumpers together and then be like, did you guys want to know anything about me? Because I'm pretty sure they're about to ask me a million and one questions. But I also also feel kind of bad because I'm kind of segregated from the rest of the team. It's mm-hmm. like me and the jumpers. And then, like, I know of the sprinters. Like, I recognize their faces. Mm-hmm. But I don't really know them like that. So, so it kind of, I mean, it kind of sucks. Like, 
even though like the team itself just feels disjointed as fuck but whatever <laughs> it's a huge responsibility and i noticed that other students they start to know me by network and i don't really know who they are but they come and they they're very respectful hey m- hey miss so-and-so whatever and they say good morning and just by association they know of me and i don't feel bad for not having relationships with them but i just hope that the messages that i'm giving to the students that i have are carrying out to them does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I know for sure. I can never know every single child, even in my own classes. I know some students way better than I know other students in my own class. There are some students who love to fly under the radar. They don't want you to know anything mm-hmm. about them. And I always try to go against that. I'm like, I say good morning to every single person. I read their work to make sure I can learn something small about them. But there's no way to know them all. And there's no way to to change them all you can't change anybody in all seriousness i just hope to drop a little bit of knowledge for them to make their own decisions to get better later so and that's all you really can't do is just drown them in a pool of knowledge they'll they'll figure out something (laughs) (laughs) if i teach you 10 things you might pick up one (laughs) (laughs) my job is complete i win (laughs) (laughs) what are some of the most rewarding things you got from being a educator dude okay this is so many things random side note (laughs) Do educator and teacher hold the same weight? I want to say so. Okay, because I don't know yes. if like some people prefer being called an educator, some be- prefer being called a teacher. They're just really the same thing. And, I've like, never been too picky. I don't know. Okay. I just live my life. But rewarding things about being a teacher are definitely those students who come back and tell you, I appreciate you or thank you or I, I use this knowledge in a different aspect. For example, I just did a whole section on communication with my health classes. So anytime I don't communicate effectively, they are very quick to let me know. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes my lessons bite me in the butt, but I appreciate it because that really means that they paid attention and they got something out of it. So seeing my students apply the knowledge that I give them is so much fun. I do that in athletic training as well. The students who take my knowledge and use it in everyday practice or get excited about using it. I have students who are so excited to wrap an ice bag on somebody. (laughs) Every opportunity they get to do it is just so much fun to them. And to me, that just makes me feel like it makes me feel important. It makes me feel like I'm make, I'm spreading the word first of all about my profession. And second of all, just to kids to get them excited about something that's healthy and useful. So seeing your impact, is the most rewarding thing students who come back and remember you that they your reputation that it's a good reputation that's rewarding i could go on for hours about just how rewarding this job really is since teachers love it so much i'm shout out mrs henderson my high school math teacher mrs landers she she was the ap lit she was the ap lit teacher but my ap lit teacher was amazing too shout out to miss obato <laughs> <laughs> yeah but she actually moved to the librarian before she taught me ap lit but oh, okay i was in the library with her all the time and then mrs seymour who was my ap lit teacher so those are the top three uh miss henderson was always in my ass <laughs> because i in high school was very very good at math I don't know if your high school did this, but what we would do is after our freshman year, we basically like had like uh, counseling and the not it was kind of like you had like a one on one counseling with a teacher, mm-hmm. and they would help you like build out your schedule. The first the first year they helped you build out your schedule for the next four years, and then every after that they just make sure that like the schedule is still working and blah. blah, blah. We don't do that, but that is a phenomenal idea. 
So I had took Miss Henderson's. I had took her like algebra class. We were in class for an hour and a half. She gave us an algebra test. I finished in twenty minutes. Everybody else is like forty five minutes. And then like I'm taking a smooth twenty five minute nap. <laughs> but anyway, you know we're all in line, and the teacher you get is like pretty much random. You're just in line, and like let's like four or five teachers. So whenever a teacher frees up, you just go to them. I'm in line, I'm sitting there, I'm you know, just dilly dallying. And then Miss Henderson is working with somebody. She finishes with them. I'm like the second person. So I was like, going to end up going to somebody else. She was like, I'm getting you next. Stay right there. And I was like, huh? <laughs> you thought you were out of out of the way. And so, <laughs> you know, she finishes she finishes the person. And I, I just stepped to the side. So I was like, all right, well. So then I go to her table. And the funny thing is, like, by the time your junior senior year hit, you have, like, electives. And so you can like choose like which electives you want to take. Miss Henderson, she takes a little paper that has like all the classes that you know my school offers. She's writing. She is not even looking up from the paper. Ain't asking me shit. She's letting you know what you're doing. You <laughs> Look, just got voluntold. <laughs> like what I tell you, she gave me because I already took algebra one. It was algebra two, trig, geometry, pre-cal, AP lit, AP history. And all this other good stuff. And I'm looking at her like, yo, I I don't want to do that. And she I'm was trying like, to get PE. <laughs> Can I get a PE in there somewhere? <laughs> and she was like, no, nah, these are the classes you're taking. This is what you're doing. And it was like, so you got two electives, which two you want? And I was like, but <laughs> they get to leave like early on Fridays. Like, I want to leave early. Like, no, like this is what you have. That's good, man. God bless her for doing that. I know. I appreciated her. Teachers really do have a lot of power to show a kid their potential and push them to get it. Because I know too many kids who would love to take six PE classes and lunch (laughs) and call it a day and you can't let them do it. And they appreciate you for it because a lot of times they look at you with all this resentment like you making me work way too hard right now. But (laughs) at the end of the session, they can look at you and say, you know what? I appreciate that you took time out to push me like that. They all did me like that. It made you who you are now. Look at you. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, when you have three teachers that are all, like, pushing you, it's hard. It's like, oh. There's no room. It's like, like I don't want to do it today. It's like, you don't want to do what? <sighs> okay. And then the funny thing about it is that Miss Miss Henderson and Miss Landers was, like, my second and third mom. So when they actually met my mom, you know, they all like they love each other and stuff. It's like, oh, of it's course, great. they have you in common. They tell my mom that, you know, I'm doing great in school. And then my mom tells them, oh, if you ever act up, just call me. Here oh, my yeah. number. And I'm like, bruh, <laughs> bruh. I had those. <laughs> I've had a few mamas like that. I had this one kid. Just, don't get me fired. I got this kid <laughs> so good. He was he was sitting in my chair and I asked him to get up and he wouldn't get up. So I got him a smooth flick to the back of the ear where it hurts really bad. <laughs> and it was hard. <laughs> and he went home and he said, Ma, this lady flicked me in my ear. And she said, what did you do to that lady? <laughs> he, she didn't care at all. <laughs> Yo, um, shout out to parents who understand that sometimes their children are dicks. Yes. Thank you. Because <laughs> I've, I've seen... Not personally, but I've I've heard stories of how you have one child who's just like extremely misbehaving and then, you know, you have like a parent teacher conference and the teacher either the teacher like calls home or like sends a note home with them and then the teacher's like, Hey, your child's misbehaving in my class and the teacher isn't like getting added to anything, just hey, your child's been misbehaving in my class and it's hard for me to teach. And the parent goes off on the teacher like, Don't you talk to my child like blah blah blah? I was like no, your child isn't wrong. You you need to work on your child. You need to do something with them. It's a problem. It does happen more often than you'd like to think. And that's where they get it from. Sometimes you make that phone call and you know exactly why they behave that way. And what can you do? 
Actually, I was going to ask you, what can you do? <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> okay, rhetorical question. <laughs> it's one of those things you have to manage your classroom. So when you have a kid like that who doesn't come to school to learn or Im- impacts the learning of the other students, you have to check them, whether it's sending them out or whether it's standing them outside and having a conversation with them. You got to learn your discipline style and handle it because you can't let it impact the rest of the students learning. It's too many students. You have 26 kids. You can't let one kid steal your classroom. So you have to check them somehow. And every teacher has their own style. Shout out to the dean's office for taking all those kids that are in my class, giving me a hard time when I can't deal with them. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to the parents for raising kids that are good and parents that aren't doing such a good job you know what work on that (laughs) i don't know what else to say (laughs) oh that's just well there you have it folks that was the six and friends podcast with your host cj the six follow me on ig at six and friends pod that's at the number six ix and friends peace